Hello, and thank you for downloading this programme from Starry Decisis Radio, where we discuss all the judgments of the United Kingdom Supreme Court. My name is Mark Tottenham. In this show, we shall be considering a case of the killing of 24 civilians by British soldiers in Malaysia in 1948, and whether the British government was under a legal obligation to set up a public inquiry. The citation for the case is KU, that's K-E-Y-U, versus the Secretary of State for Foreign Affairs, 2015, UK SC 69. The facts of the case can be summarised as follows. On the 11th of December 1948, during an insurgency in the Federation of Malaya, which was then under British control, a patrol consisting of local police and Scots guards pursued two uniformed and armed insurgents in the rubber planting area of Batangkali but failed to capture them. The patrol continued to the village of Batangkali, which contained 50 unarmed adults who were not wearing uniforms. The patrol separated the men from the women and children, detained them all in huts overnight and interrogated them. On the morning of the 12th of December, the patrol unlocked a hut in which 23 men were being held and within minutes shot and killed all of them before setting fire to the village. The official report of the War Office of the 22nd of December 1948 found that the men had been killed while trying to escape. Over 20 years later, however, in 1969 and 1970, a number of the soldiers involved told a BBC investigation that they had massacred the men in cold blood on orders from their superior officers. This led to an investigation by the Metropolitan Police, but the investigation was terminated prior to its completion when the Attorney General and Director of Public Prosecutions concluded that there was insufficient evidence to bring a prosecution. Between 1993 and 1997, the Royal Malaysia Police carried out an investigation, but that investigation was terminated by the Malaysian Attorney General. The present case arises from a petition brought in 2008 by survivors of the killings and relatives of those killed, seeking a public inquiry under the Inquiries Act of 2005. Decisions were made by the relevant Foreign and Defence Secretaries not to establish a public inquiry or any other inquiry into the deaths. The High Court concluded that there was no legal duty to hold an inquiry and that the Foreign Secretaries and Defence Secretaries were entitled to make the decisions. An appeal to the Court of Appeal was dismissed and the matter proceeded to the Supreme Court. The court had to decide, number one, whether the UK courts had the jurisdiction to hear the case, number two, whether the respondents were under a legal duty to establish a public inquiry into the killings, and if so, whether such a duty was enforceable under the Human Rights Act 1998 or the common law, number three, whether international law required that such an investigation should take place, and whether this requirement could be implied into the common law, and number four, whether the Foreign Secretary and Defence Secretary were under an obligation to order such an inquiry under the principles of judicial review. The lead judgment was delivered by Lord Newberger, who noted that, although the killings had taken place before the Convention on Human Rights was signed in 1950, there were circumstances in which earlier claims might fall under its auspices. In the present case, the emergence of, the emergence of further evidence in 1969 and 1970 might have given rise to such a claim. However, the fact that the killings had taken place more than 10 years before this new evidence made it unlikely that the Convention would be applicable under the jurisdiction of the Court of Human Rights in Strasbourg. In relation to the idea that international law might be extended into the common law, 
He noted that international law as it existed in 1948 would not have required such an inquiry. As to whether there was a common law duty to hold such an inquiry, he said, open quotation, Parliament has expressly provided for investigations into deaths through the common coroner's courts in the Coroners and Justices Act 2009 and its predecessors, and through inquiries in the 2005 Act and its subject-specific predecessor statutes. It has also effectively legislated in relation to investigations into suspicious deaths through the incorporation of Article 2 of the Convention of Human Rights in the 1998 Act. In those circumstances, it appears to be quite inappropriate for the courts to take it onto themselves through the guise of developing the common law to impose a further duty to hold an inquiry, particularly where it would be a duty which has such potentially wide and uncertain ramifications, given that it would appear to apply to deaths which had occurred many decades, even possibly centuries ago. End of quotation. He also said, open quotation, the notion that there is a positive common law duty to investigate the killings in the present case, even though they took place nearly 70 years ago, simply in order to establish historical truth, would, at least without more, open the door to demands that all suspicious deaths, however long ago, would have to be investigated. The notion that the duty is owed to those whose relatives were killed, or may remember the incident, has more force, but that is not a powerful enough reason, in my view, to enable the court to say that, despite the reasons advanced by the respondents for not holding an inquiry, it was disproportionate to refuse to do so. End of quotation. In plain language, he was suggesting that, to order such an inquiry would open the floodgates to a plethora of other investigations. Although he did not mention it, it seems probable that he had in mind the fact that the UK ruled a significant part of the world during the 20th century, and there, were, there are several parts of the world that might have relevant grievances they would like to pursue. Not to mention the fact that certain activities of the Allied forces in World War II might be considered appropriate for such an investigation, the bombing of Dresden being one such example. In a concurring judgment, Lord Mance considered the issue of whether the UK courts had jurisdiction to hear the case. He set out in clear detail the legal basis for the UK's rule of the relevant state at the time, which stemmed from a treaty of January 1948 with the Sultan of Selangor. Lord Mance came to the conclusion that the actions of British soldiers remained the responsibility of the UK, saying the following, open quotation, Assuming that the deaths in December 1948 were and remain the United Kingdom's responsibility domestically, responsibility for any inquiry now called for into them must prima facie also remain with the United Kingdom. It is true that the inquiry is claimed by persons who are now clearly not within the United Kingdom's control in relation to an incident in a place which is now equally clearly outside the United Kingdom's jurisdiction, and further that much of the evidence and material which could or would be relevant, is and is only in Malaysia, which is outside the jurisdiction. But any inquiry would relate to the deaths of persons who were at the time under United Kingdom control, and to the conduct of the British Army, which was and is within United Kingdom jurisdiction. More specifically, it would relate to the conduct of Scots Guards, who were under United Kingdom command and within United Kingdom jurisdiction. Open brackets and one or two of whom are still alive and understood to be within such jurisdiction." Close brackets. When a death of a person under British military control occurs abroad, 
Any subsequent inquiry will often involve seeking information from sources in different jurisdictions at the date of the inquiry. End of quotation. Nonetheless, he concurred with Lord Newberger as to the reasons why an inquiry was not appropriate in this case. Lord Kerr delivered a concurring judgment, or what might be described as a demurring judgment, in which he took the view that a duty to hold an investigation could be incorporated into the common law, but that in the present case the decision by the government not to hold an inquiry was proportionate. He said that the cost of such an inquiry, when set against the likely benefits, was an issue that had to be resolved, and that the decision not to hold one was not disproportionate. But he was not happy with this conclusion, and said, open quotation, this is an instance where the law has proved itself unable to respond positively to the demand that there be redress for the historical wrong that the appellants so passionately believe has been perpetrated on them and their relatives. That may reflect a deficiency in our system of law. It certainly does not re represent any discredit on the honourable crusade that the appellants have pursued. The only dissenting judgment was by Lady Hale, who noted the lapse in time since the new evidence had emerged in 1970, and that the appellants had failed at that stage to pursue the matter with the Court of Human Rights. But she also noted that a book with more new information had been published on the killings in 2009, entitled Slaughter and Deception at Batang Kali. This might have triggered the right to seek an investigation. As to the decision by the Secretaries of State not to hold an investigation, she said the following. The reasons given by the Secretaries of State focused on what might now be learned of contemporary relevance, either to the organisation and training of the army or to promoting race relations from conducting an inquiry. They did not seriously consider the most cost-effective form which such an inquiry might take. They did not seriously consider the bigger picture, the public interest in properly inquiring into an event of this magnitude, the private interests of the relatives and survivors in knowing the truth, and seeking the reputations of their deceased relatives vindicated. The importance of setting the record straight, as counsel put, put it, balancing the prospect of the truth against the value of the truth. End of quotation. She concluded that the decision not to hold an inquiry was disproportionate and dissented from the majority opinion. There is much that could be commented on in this case. As to the value of public inquiries generally, as to the responsibilities of soldiers and police in times of insurgency when their own lives are unquestionably at risk, and as to the standard to which Britain can be held in relation to its colonial past. But I was particularly struck by a telegram sent by Sir Henry Gurney, the High Commissioner, to the Colonial Office, dated the 1st of January 1949, which sums up very lucidly the difficulty that arises in all such investigations. Open quotation. One of the difficulties of this situation is that we have a war of terrorism on our hands and we are at the same time endeavouring to maintain the rule of law. I would also point out that it is an easy matter from one's office or home to criticise actions taken by the security forces in the heat of operations and working under jungle conditions, but not so easy to do the job oneself. Rightly or wrongly, we feel here that we must be conservative in our criticism of the men who are undoubtedly carrying out a most arduous and dangerous job, and it must be remembered that when persons are picked up by the security forces under such circumstances, until they are screened at headquarters, it is impossible for the security forces to tell whether they are members of killer squads or to what extent they are involved. Furthermore, although some of the, the 
killed were rubber tappers, it is our experience that such persons are frequently rubber tappers part-time and bandits the rest of the time, and that their arms are usually hidden in the neighbourhood and not found with them. Moreover, we feel it is most damaging to the morale of the security forces to feel that every action of theirs after the event is going to be examined with the most meticulous care. End of quotation. This helps to explain why any such investigation at the time is likely to give the benefit of the doubt to a serving member of the armed forces and why those aggrieved at their actions can be left without dress for decades afterwards. Thank you very much for listening to this programme. If you have any comments, please see the Starry Decisis Radio Facebook page or Twitter account. And if you have enjoyed this programme, please tell your friends and colleagues about Starry Decisis Radio.